Welcome to the Sisterhood & Co. podcast. I'm your host, Harriet Blevins. This podcast is designed to empower, educate, and encourage women of all ages and stages of life in their walk with God. Our goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and topics relevant to your lives as Christians. We will have conversations with other leaders all along the way and discuss topics all of us want and need to hear. I'm so happy you're here, and I hope you enjoy the journey with me. Wonderful. Oh, that song is amazing, isn't it? Yes, that is so good. When y'all hear our topic this morning or our women, you're going to know why we chose that song to sing. It was so good. Um, before we go any further this morning, we are going to pray for our brothers and sisters in Nashville, and we're going to pray over the horrendous evil that happened there yesterday, and we're going to pray that the God of heaven would put on the hearts and minds of those who have the power to do so to figure out how to secure our children's spaces. That's what we're going to pray. Y'all in agreement with me? That's what we're going to pray, and we're going to pray that the political narrative is pushed aside and that we can begin to speak truth into a situation which is our children have been left, after we just sang the song about the generations, our children are left as sitting ducks from one end, from sea to shining sea. So we're going to pray that God will do something to, uh, to gird them up, to protect them. And because how many of you know evil has always been in the world? Right? How many of you know that there are more guns in America than there are people? Right? So we have to find a way of securing where our children are. And I want us to pray about that this morning. So, Father, we lift up our brothers and sisters at the Covenant Christian School this morning in the hell that they are waking up to and finding themselves in. God, we ask that you would comfort every family, but especially the families who lost children, a wife, husband, Father, we ask that you would undergird that community and that they would be stronger when they get through this than they were, that they would become the enemy's worst nightmare in that region and in that area there in Green Hills, I think is what it's called. Lord, we ask that you would give the leadership of the church wisdom as they walk these people through this intense devastation and trauma and pain. Lord, we, we release life over that in the name of Jesus. And we ask God that you would begin to bring truth and that you would begin to shine some light on the fact that our children are unprotected in America. That we are protecting celebrities and every politician and we have walls and guns and all the things they need, but Lord, we don't have what we need for our children. And so we're asking you, Jesus, to bring a change and a shift in this situation in every school. I don't care if it's private, public, whatever it is. In every school, Lord, that you would put the blood of Jesus over them. That they would be kept in safety and out of harm's way. We ask that today, that if there is any uh, uh, schemes going on that have been launched out of hell against any any innocent people, that you would foil those and up upend those and they would be exposed in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we ask that you would come and set the things that are wrong into the right. And we ask, Lord, that, that at the end of this, that your name 
would be glorified and made bigger. Bigger, not, not smaller, magnified, magnified, that we magnify you, Jesus. And we lift this situation up to you today, God. And we just come together, even as a small remnant of your body, and we just ask, God, that you would come and bring your kingdom into that piece of earth right now, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, we ask that anything that the public needs to know would come out in the name of Jesus and would not be hidden, but that it would be exposed in Jesus' name, and that there would be no sweeping anything under the carpet but that we would have a full picture of what has actually happened there. We pray, Lord, against the mental health disorder of transgenderism. And we ask, God, that you would begin to set people free from the deception and the demonic spirit that that is and how that has begun to shift and change people's minds. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us strategies on how to bring healing and wholeness in those situations in Jesus' name. And we thank you for it, Lord. And everybody said, amen. amen. You know, we planned this weeks ago, what we're getting ready to talk about this morning. And you will be shocked because um, Michelle's topic today, I can't say the names. Y'all, I'm as excited to learn as y'all are because she's getting ready to teach us about something that I, have no, I really have never studied. I have no idea about these women except for just the... Just, just reading over it and kind of keeping it ongoing. But it is a very, you can come on up. It's a very powerful thing that she asked for this song about the generations. She's getting ready to talk about inheritance and generations. And we had what happened yesterday. See, only God can set that up. There isn't, like, we didn't set it up. You know, Michelle's like, this is just the week I want. I mean, we didn't know that all this was happening. You know, that was just the week she chose that she was going to teach. So, you know, this is, is a real God-ordained moment, really, um, for her to teach on this. And so I woke up very excited today because I am getting ready to learn something that I didn't ever know. And how many of y'all like to learn? That's why we're here. I know, we like to learn. So I want to pray for you before we get going. Father, I thank you so much for Michelle. I thank you, Lord, for the gift of God that is on her life. I thank you, Lord, for the, the beautiful, um, uh, not just story, but the beautiful impartation of inheritance that is getting ready to come on all of us. We thank you, Lord, that you're not just a God of the today, but you are a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the generations, God. And when you see us, you don't just see us in a snapshot of time. You see us in our generational lineage. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And we thank you that all of us can begin where we are and start a new, fresh place even for our own inheritance and the, and the ones, the, the, uh, our children and our children's children all the way to a thousand generations, just like we just sang. And so, God, I ask that as we open the word today, you would speak to us, that um, your life would jump off the pages at us and that you would just anoint Michelle today. Let her have fun. And um, we're just excited to receive Jesus. And we thank you. We thank you that you're the kindest one we know. Yes, In Jesus name. Amen. I got that from Michelle. <laughs> I say it. I've adopted it as mine now. But it is HB. It's yours. And it's all of ours because he is the kindest one we know. Oh, he's so good. And he's right now near to the broken and hearted, that ones that we just prayed for, he is near. That is, he's, he sits in a high and lofty place, but he is near to the broken. That is who he is. Um, okay, so we're going to go right in. Yeah. Got, you know, at, uh, at Flourish, I, I, 
I used no notes because that was how I felt like the Lord wanted me to offer. But I'm going real tight on my notes because I want to get a lot of information out there. And, you know, sisterhood is more of a teaching context really for us anyway. And the Lord just wants to unfold some things. And I want us to be encouraged in our inheritance that the Lord has a beautiful inheritance for all of us. And one of the things that Harriet said and didn't even know that I will reference in my notes is how Jesus sets the wrong things right. Because we're, we're going to talk about a few different times that um, it's revealed in the Old Testament of the Lord's desire and his heart for his daughters. Our God loves, loves women. He, we, we are an expression of who he is in the earth. He is not fully expressed without male and female. And Harriet's right. There is this, there is this um, strategy of the enemy to sort of melge uh, uh, and, and not actually offer the beauty of the expression of the heart of the Lord through both male and female. And so um, just want to talk about a couple of different things. So, okay, we're going we're gonna to primarily talk about a story from Numbers 27. Now, we, we did sing the blessing, which is from number six, the priestly blessing, and a thousand generations, the Lord's countenance upon you, all the beauty of that. Uh, so we're, we're staying in numbers today. We went from singing numbers and uh, the blessing to coming to numbers uh, 27.1. I'm going to read a little bit about this. This is from the, the daughters of Zelophehad. It's a little difficult to say, but um, the Lord wants to give us some insight. This is from the tribe of Manasseh from Joseph. Joseph's double portion, Ephraim and Manasseh. And I mean, it's, it's just, it's beautiful. All right. Also, um, I'm going to weave in a few other women, lesser known women of the Bible, to kind of in- encourage us in our inheritance as well. Then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Meker, the son of Manasseh, from the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And these were the names of his daughters. Now, isn't this amazing? These names are written in Scripture. Mahiah, Noah, Hogalah, Micah, and Tirzah. And I really wanted to search out Tirzah because Tirzah is also referenced as a city. And in Song of Songs, it's, you're as beautiful as Tirzah, as beautiful, as lovely as Jerusalem. But I didn't have time to really flesh that out. But that might be something that you guys can look at. And then they stood before Moses, before Eleazar the priest, and before the leaders and all the congregation by the doorway of the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, but he was not in the company of those who gathered together against the Lord in the company with Korah. But he died in his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be removed from among the family because he had no son? So it was, the tradition would have been that there was no inheritance whatsoever given. Give us as a possession among our father's brothers. Now, this is interesting. Moses did not just dismiss them and say, well, sorry, this is, this is the law. This is the way it is. Too bad. He actually took their request and their petition before the Lord. Right here, verse 5, Moses brought their case before the Lord. What an honorable man. And the Lord said to Moses, spoke to Moses saying, The daughters of Zelophehad, speak what is right. The Lord is backing up the word of these daughters. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance from among your father's brothers and cause their inheritance of their father to pass to them. Wow, awesome picture. 
So these, these girls, these women, they are mentioned five times, five different places in Scripture. I mean, who knew, right? They stood before Moses, and of course, understanding the context of those days, women were considered basically property themselves. So it was such a, it was a, sh- a direct cultural shift to be, be from going from being property to owning property, either their father's property before they were married or considered property of their husbands. Women had no civil rights. And even in Israel, in religious culture, they had no rights in the cultural context of religion. But here they stood before the tabernacle of meeting. They came before Eleazar, the priest, and Moses. They were bold women. They understand that the men were saying, they were listening and hearing, oh, we're going to have an allotment of land. We're going to have the promises of the Father. We're going to have fruit trees and the land flowing with milk and honey, prosperity. And they were hearing this and they were like, well, we need to have our portion and our allotment. So they didn't, that was the rule. They couldn't have an inheritance. But why is it that women can't have an inheritance? They had some courage and some spirit about them. They were challenging a tradition that had been around since the fall and nobody had even ever asked the question. But they did. They did. Ask the question. Reminds you that nothing ever changes unless someone is willing to go first. Someone has to take the courageous path. We see it even in our own civil rights movement. Rosa Parks had to say, this this is my stance. Today, I am not moving. Maybe it was because she was tired, but she still bucked the system. She still took a stance and it sparked a movement. Somebody has to ask the, ask the uh, awkward question, why? So who are the Rosa Parks of our day? Who are the daughters of the Lofahad of our day? I mean, their question, it was a legitimate one. Why can't we have an inheritance just because our father didn't have a son? Very legitimate question. But it was a confrontation with culture at the time. There was going to be no inheritance given. So think about that. That's just complete thievery. Thievery. But Moses, because he has an ear, he's a friend of God, he took, his, took this to the Lord. He didn't dismiss them. He didn't just go with the cultural blueprint. He said, what does the Lord say? And then he says, recorded in verse six and seven, you shall surely give them an inheritance, a hereditary possession among their father's brothers and transfer their inheritance of the father toward them. Now this is incredibly significant (laughs) because through all time in history, at that point, this had not been done. But God said, today I'm establishing a new thing. Now how much... Oh, how many times does the Lord say, I am establishing a new thing? I mean, in the book of Revelation, Jesus says it, behold, I do a new thing. I mean, it's from all across the scriptures. He is doing a new thing, something that had never been done before, and he contradicted. We see it so clearly with Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you have heard it say, but I say to you, because I'm establishing a new thing. I'm I'm setting the wrong things back to the right. We see it across history and a rise of discrimination against women in society across the nations. Either no education or in extreme cases cannot even go outside without a male relative. This is today. And yet we look at scripture and God actually fights for the rights of women in this case. And he reveals that women have to step out and have the courage to ask. Wow, we we have a portion to play. These women They were like, I'm hearing all about this, but I actually have to go and petition. 
A couple of chapters over, Joshua 15, 16 through 19, it talks about the daughter of Caleb. Her name was Aksa. She was courageous, just like Caleb, just like her dad. She dismounted her donkey, it says. Her donkey, I like that. Her donkey. And Caleb, her father, said, what do you want? She petitioned her dad. Now, of course, Caleb, he was a hero, cast out many giants in the land. He was steadfast. He had a unique spirit upon him. He was a man of faith and conquest. And she was raised in his home. She knew who she was. Listening to these stories of faith, she became a woman of faith herself. And when he gives the inheritance of the land, she asked for the more. With boldness and confidence, she jumps off her donkey and she says, Dad, I really need the springs, the upper springs and the lower springs. And so Caleb says, yeah, sounds good. You should, you should have that. Her father was willing to give that to her. And in this moment, Caleb is a picture of the heavenly father who is so eager and so willing to give us the kingdom freely. He is a generous father, but she was willing to ask. She, she so received not only the land of inheritance, but the upper springs which flowed and the lower springs, which would have been more accessible. God has called you. He is good, and he will give you what you need to make an impact for him. The Bible confirms this over and over in the message of his inheritance for women. So let's also quickly look at the life of Job, the last chapter, 42, 12. Then the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first, the latter, like the latter rains. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit in the latter part. And he had 14 of those thousand sheep, 6,000 camels, a thousand yoke of them, oxen and donkeys. And all in all, he had seven sons and three daughters. And the first daughter he named, I mean here, seven sons and three daughters. And he names the, the women, names the daughters. This is significant. And they were named. This happened in Joseph's latter years. It is God's plan in the last days that he poured out his spirit on all flesh. It's the more. He pours out his spirit on women. He wants his daughters to rise up and he doesn't want you to be oppressed or struggling. He wants you to rise up in faith and take the authority and claim your spiritual inheritance. We all have something to, to, to petition God for in the spiritual inheritance of the generations and the generations and the generations as well as the kingdom that he's put within. We just went through a whole teaching on the kingdom of heaven and that we get to lay hold of those things. God has a spiritual inheritance for you. Write down your dreams. Write down what God has spoken to you over the years about your spiritual calling. Maybe you have a burden for the poor. Or maybe you've been called to preach or start a business. Or maybe people have told you you can't do that. But the Bible is clear. You have an inheritance in Christ. And it is worth contending for. We're going to have to be brave. We're going to have to ask the question. Petition. You may have to get in an awkward spot like the daughters of Zelophehad. But you have to step out in faith, knowing that he will bless you with inheritance. Now, God's original plan. Genesis 1, 28, 26 through 28. God shows us that he created men and women to be equals. He created mankind, human beings, in his image and likeness to rule over the earth. Male and female, he created them. God's image is revealed in both male and female, and it's not complete in the earth if women are erased if they are not valued, and if they are voiceless. Even today, there is a direct effort underway toward the erasure of womanhood. Harriet mentioned it. 
She didn't know I was going to mention this, but directly, this is a strategy of darkness. Even right now, this trans community, those not born female at birth, are being celebrated during, during Women's History Month. The month of March is Women's History Month. But apparently no one does womanhood like a man. Now this is a direct, result, a direct assault on women and their reflection of God's image in and through each one of us as women. You can love people who are dealing with difficulty in their own identity, which is always the enemy's assault against us. He always comes against us in our identity. And it's very prevalent and pronounced in culture these days. And you can love those people for sure. Every single person who is struggling in these ways. But also we can be a voice for womankind. So this, like I said, is a direct assault on women and the reflection of God's image. So not even being able to answer the question, what is a woman? It is an affront to the image of God on his daughters. It, it, it's maddening to me. I, I, I literally don't understand it. But yet, I, I do understand it because the tide of darkness is the strategy of the enemy to come against the very image bearers and always to keep us locked out without a voice, shut down. Even women in the current moment who give any voice to standing for what is a woman, in truth, I mean, feminists who would have maybe a direct contradiction of uh, thinking in a biblical context, but yet believe that women should have a voice and space and safe spaces are being completely shut down. So it's, it's, it's a real uh, situation that we're confronting. So we, as the women and the daughters of God who have an inheritance in Him, we have to be a voice for the voiceless. We have to be a voice for those who cannot speak for themselves. We have to go before the Lord and say, God, what is happening here and what can I do about it? What is my portion and my role? In this passage, both male and female, we see that God blessed them both in their humanity. He's told them both, subdue the earth. That's kibosh in scripture. It's a weighty word meaning to overtake, to exercise spiritual authority. It's completely contrary to the earth actually ruling over us. The people are called, the humankind, both male and female, are called to rule and subdue the earth. Genesis 2.18 is not good for man to be alone. He is not complete, so I'll give a helper. Azar, which speaks of God himself 15 times in the Old Testament. This word is speaking of God himself. Adam was not complete without the woman but she's not secondary or inferior at all. Many have thought that women is like an afterthought, sort of sidelined, but ignore what is really taught throughout scripture. The woman is made out of the same material as the man. He sang a song celebrating her as his equal. And the theme of equality is clear and they live in harmony. The problem happens when sin enters the world in Genesis 3 and there's discord. In Genesis 3:16, God gives the punishment of, curse, of the curse of sin it's also interesting to me that it's Genesis 3.16 when the summation of the gospel is John 3.16. 
But here the consequence for sin and disobedience is that Adam would rule over Eve throughout the ages. But this was not God's will. It was the curse of sin. This was the beginning of men dominating and controlling women. He says in the curse, your desire will be towards your husband, which can also be translated a turning. Your turning will be towards your husband, which means under the curse, women would sometimes look to their husband as if they were God rather than looking to God himself. But God created male and female to have direct and personal relationship with him. He will rule over you. This was the beginning of oppression and we see why so many women are suffering around the world. Even though sin came into the world and women became at a disadvantage and began to actually take on this identity of being inferior, begin to feel that they were secondary, even in that culture and time, we find these examples in the Old Testament of how God used women for his divine purposes. God's original design is also seen as in his instructions to Noah. I mentioned this to Harriet on Sunday. But if you look at Genesis 7-1, God says to Noah, you and your whole family go into the ark. That was his instruction. But we see recorded in Genesis 7-7 that Noah went in according to the culture of the day. The men went first and then the women. So Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wives. But in Genesis 8-15-16, God says to him, as you exit the ark, take you and your wife and your sons and their wives. But we see in verse 18, he still came out of the ark in the old pattern. So Noah came out with his sons and with his wife and his son's wives. So even in this direction, he didn't adhere to the word of the Lord. God gave instruction for a way of partnership between men and women, husband and wife, not her in a subservient role behind the sons, but in a restored way. And it was perhaps a missed opportunity for some turnaround in that moment. Although until Jesus came to set things fully in the right, it would not have been fully revealed. Abraham is known as the father of our faith, but, Abraham, but also the Bible calls Abraham and Sarah our spiritual parents. When God gave the promise to Abraham, God also spoke to Sarah. Abraham's name was cha- Abram's name was changed to Abraham and Sarai's name was chosen to Sarah. And Genesis 17, 15 through 16, God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, she will no longer be called Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and I will surely give you a son by her and I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations and kings of peoples will come from her generations, from her. She gets the blessing just as much as Abraham does. God did the same thing for Sarah he did for Abraham and she went from being a princess to being the mother of nations. This is how God deals with women. He calls on women. He wants women to exercise his authority. He wants women to have spiritual descendants. He wants women to be a part of his divine plan. He did not leave us in a secondary place. It has been used to, uh, has been always his, vo- his heart to offer women and empower women to be his voice and his representatives in the earth to proclaim the good news. Psalm 68, 11, we quote it often. The Lord announced the word, the word, and great was the company of women who proclaimed it. Miriam served as an elder with Moses and Aaron. In Judges 4 and 5, the life of Deborah is celebrated there. She's a prophet and leader of Israel because of her obedience. In Israel, enjoyed 40 years of peace under her leadership. She doesn't fit the theology that many have, 
but God's spirit rested upon her. He called her, appointed her, anointed her. But why do women suffer globally? Why is there such oppression of women? You know, we've mentioned it several times that when you see women oppressed, that is the antichrist spirit at work. And, and we know in the latter days that that will be a prevailing spirit. And women will be oppressed. I mean, we are, we are seeing oppression in our nation as has not been seen since before the suffrage, when women were just property and had no vote. I mean, we're, we're in a context now. It's a different kind of context, a different kind of oppression, but it is oppression nonetheless, and it's violent oppression. But women are suffering all around the world, and one of the answers for this is in the book of Genesis. A very sad and difficult story, another lesser-known woman of the Bible, but in a spiritual door that was open. And Harriet often talks about the law of first mentions. In Genesis 34, one through seven, we see the story of Dinah, the daughter of Leah. She had born, she was been born to Jacob. It was Jacob and Leah's daughter. It's a tragic story. It's the first biblical recorded rape. And the sad thing is that you never hear Dinah mentioned again. This is like a silent cry of Dinah because you study culture of the time and women who were raped, they basically would have been required to wear a long veil had to stay in her home, sequestered from the rest for the rest of her life, her life actually stolen for her, from her for this one act of violence against her. It is so tragic. She had to suffer because of this violation. Genesis is the book of beginnings. It tells us th- why things are the way that they are. And Dinah's story is representative of pain, violation, silencing, and stealing of destiny that so many women suffer globally. In the developing world, Dinah's story has been repeated many, many times, even today. And this is really the cultural norm in these contexts. As I've traveled to India and Africa, both contexts, there was an unveiling, sort of peeling back to see some things just below the surface of how most do not even want a female child And when many suffer in those countries is absolutely unbelievable. Often, especially in Africa, and this is another one that I feel very passionate about, is that they, when they turn 12, they have a ceremony of female genitalia mutilation. And this is a horrific practice that that these girls go through. In Middle Eastern countries, women don't have basic human rights and they are veiled from head to foot. They have to have a male relative escort them. And they often, if there's some accusation against them, are buried up to their head and the men of the village are called to stone them. This is the story of Dinah in the Bible because God understands female pain. He cares about this issue and that women are suffering around the world because of this gender oppression, which was never God's intent for humankind, for one to bear his image. What is very significant (laughs) is that Jesus in John chapter four goes to the very place where Dinah was raped and he encounters another woman who was abused, who was violated, 
who is tossed to the side. The scripture said Jesus had to go to Samaria because he's the restorer. He's the one who makes the wrong things right. He sat down because he had a divine appointment with a woman who had been horribly abused. He, he walked right into the middle of that place and starts a conversation with this woman. And what began with a dialogue about worship and theology, Jesus brings to a very personal place. He's, he's wanting to get to the root of her pain. Back in those days, women could not get a divorce. Only men could divorce a woman for many reasons. So she was tossed to the side and discarded five times and the six not yet her husband. So six men we know recorded. But Jesus in his compassion looks into her soul, acknowledges her pain, and she encountered his love and his compassion. And she couldn't help but tell others about this encounter that changed her life forever when she met the seventh man. The number of completion and all of her pain was acknowledged and her soul was healed when she encountered Jesus and she was empowered to speak for God. She was now no longer afraid because perfect love casts out fear. And she preached to all the men and the women and they came to Jesus and believed. So John 4, in light of Genesis 34, we see redemption and restoration and Jesus revealed as the answer of making all the wrong things right. Jesus himself, he broke the patriarchal spirit. Some would say that Jesus only had male followers, and it is an honest question. It is real. Reading the Bible, yes, there were 12, all Jewish men, a very narrow mandate at the time. But the birth of the church, men and women were there in the upper room. And the Bible also does not say that he only had male followers. Jesus had a ministry school of a group of 70 people that he trained and discipled. They were not referenced or named, so there could have been two by two men, two by two women. We see in Luke, Luke chapter 8, Jesus had a group of women followers, the 12, and also some women, and it gives their names. Yes, we know the 12 disciples, we know their names, but they're recorded in Luke 8, the women's names. And it says that they were disciples and contributors. Now, their society was a very segregated culture, but even in the culture of the day, Jesus had these women followers, and it says he wasn't scared of them. He wasn't scared of them being too close to him, the rabbi, the man of God. He said, come, sit at my feet, hear my words, be taught of me. And they've been supporting the spread of the gospel since the beginning. It shows how radical he was, how different he was. They sat at his feet like Mary, and Jesus said that that's the best part, to be a disciple, to hear my words. And he also said that will not be taken from her. We can sit at his feet and we can hear his words and we can be taught by his spirit and we can know what his word says. This truth that makes us free. In Luke 13, the woman that was healed in the synagogue, she was bent over looking at her feet and it says a, a spirit had oppressed her for 18 years. She's in the back of the synagogue. Jesus sees her and he says, I want to heal you and he does. And what happens is she comes up praising God. Now that was for sure not the cultural norm. That was for sure not appropriate. 
This woman in the back of the whole meeting declaring the goodness of God, but she had to. And he healed her and he gives her her voice and empowers her. John 13, 21. Jesus even uses a parable from a woman's life, a domestic reference from the kitchen. Jesus said the kingdom is compared to leaven, which a woman took, he says, which a woman took and hid three packs of the flour until it was all leavened. Now this was revolutionary for Jesus to be teaching and using a domestic reference, including women, but he knew women could relate to this. He wants women to understand the kingdom as well. He reveals that, this, that as the gospel is growing, women are gonna have their hands in there. They're gonna engage, they're gonna bring their portion, and they're gonna see it spread. Just how leaven spreads. Mary Magdalene, she sat at Jesus' feet as a disciple, and in John 21, 20, verse 1, something very amazing is shown. I love this. I love this so much. I always tell people I never, ever, ever want to use the scripture as a trump card or a verse as a trump card, but I'm going to tell you what, this is the biggest trump card of them all. That women can preach. The woman followers came to the tune. Where in the world were the men? Bless them, Lord. That they were the first witnesses to the resurrection. Now, this is not by happenstance. The Lord sets this in place. He commissions her, and in one passage in the Gospel of Mark, he says, go and tell my brothers that I am alive. Go and give them the good news of the resurrection. In that moment, Jesus is commissioning Mary, a female disciple. He is commissioning her, a single female disciple, we believe. So let's just let that sit right there. And carry the message of the resurrection to his male followers. He says, take the word of the good news that I am alive and give it to my brothers. In Jesus' day, they did not believe that women could even be a witness in a courtroom. They didn't believe the testimony of a woman. <laughs> he chose his women followers to be the first witnesses of his resurrection. I mean, he just took it and put it on its head. With this, how can we believe anything but that women do have a voice for God, for the gospel and for the kingdom? It is the great reversal. Jesus was buried in the garden, the garden tomb. And you have this scene on the resurrection morning where Mary comes and encounters Jesus in a garden. And if we think of another garden, back to Genesis, the garden of Eden, and there was a woman in a garden who talked to a man. And in that garden, the woman and the man had turned from God. She had been deceived and sin had entered. And the curse was basically saying, you are silenced. But when you look at resurrection morning, you see this garden and you see Jesus, this man talking to this woman, the second Adam, the second and the last Adam, Jesus Christ. And she is a woman who had been delivered of seven demons, seven, the number of perfect completion. <laughs> she was fully free and she's talking to Jesus and he's telling her, use your voice. I am giving you your voice back, woman. Now go and tell. He is actually saying, now I am sending you to speak words of life. I am alive. And he is commissioning and empowering her to speak for him. Jesus has the last word. 
Maybe God has called you to step out, to lead a ministry, to start a business, to begin something new, to preach the gospel, to be a voice for the voiceless. And maybe a lot of people have told you that you cannot do that. But you have to stand up knowing that you are a daughter of the king and you can ask God for your inheritance. And I can ask God for my inheritance. And also there may be something you need to speak with like these ladies did in petitioning Moses. The daughters of Zelophehad, they were not on a feminist revolt. This was not about being rebellious or making demands. They went in humility and in confidence and courage. And as a result, culture completely changed. The fact is they appear in scripture five times and one of those times is recorded in Joshua 17, one through three. At this point, they had gone into the land of promise and Moses had died and now Joshua is leading the people of Israel. So the daughters came back to Joshua to remind him of what Moses had said. Verse three, however, Zelophehad only had daughters. He lists their names again. They are so important that they're named, not just the daughters of Zelophehad, they are named, listed by name. And they came and stood before the priest, Eleazar, and before Joshua and before the leaders, according to the command of the Lord that they were to receive their rightful inheritance. Now get this, in verse five, 10 portions of land were given. They wandered in the wilderness, holding on to their promise. And when they got to the land, that they, they went back to Joshua. They reminded him of, of Moses' promise, who heard from the Lord directly upon this, and the Bible records that because they were so brave and because they had asked for this for their tribe that would have normally only received five allotments of land, but because these brave girls went before Moses and then later to Joshua to claim their inheritance, 10 portions were given to that tribe. A double portion allotment. They were willing to ask the question that had never been asked and their territory doubled in size. Wow, what does that say to us? It's a very relevant message for the church today. Because in so many spheres, there are limitations. Saying things that only men can do certain things, only men can lead, only men can preach, you can't even stand behind the pulpit, and so have limited the impact that we can make on the world for the gospel. When women bring their portion and are given place for their spiritual inheritance, when women stand in their place and have a voice and position of influence and we start empowering women to preach the gospel, there is an exponential expansion. It is spacious. We will reach twice as many, the double portion, twice as many for Jesus, twice as much territory gained, twice as much impact. And really with the Lord, it's, it's more than that. Exceedingly abundantly above. It is the actual theme in the Bible where we see women receiving their inheritance and what an inheritance we have. Psalm 16, five, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot support, secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me on pleasant places and surely I have a delightful inheritance. He is our inheritance. And then in Ephesians 1, he says, we are his inheritance. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father, that he would give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you would know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you would know the hope to which he is called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in you. 
You are God's inheritance. No scheme of darkness or plan of evil has the final word for your inheritance. The finished work of the cross and God's great love for you and the reconciliation and restoration of all things in Jesus has the final word. We sing that song, the cross has the final word. He is giving us all his indwelling spirit, empowering us all for what he has purposed and called us to do. Powerful. And we see it all over the scriptures. God's original design, intent for humankind And how the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give life and give it to the full. So the question when we go into our small groups, what place of inheritance do you feel that you need to be reminded of? The dream of your heart. How do you feel encouraged and empowered by the message of these daughters who boldly and courageously said, we need our portion we have something to give because you do. So Abba, truly Lord, you are the kindest one we know. Your kindness has been displayed to your daughters all throughout history and time and scripture. We see how the enemy has tried to oppress women and has, in fact. But we also see that you are the lifter of our heads. You are the one who calls draws and appoints and releases for your divine purpose. You mark us. You mark us with your spirit. And so, Lord, we stand right now and we say yes to all that you have for us in your inheritance, knowing that you are our inheritance. We love you and we bless your name. Amen. We can do our small groups. What place of inheritance do you feel that you need to be reminded of? The dream of your heart. How do you feel encouraged and empowered by the message of these daughters? So by a show of hands, who learned something new today? I know. How many of you knew that about Noah? No, that none of y'all knew that, right? Me either, right? How many of y'all had ever thought about that he, Jesus was the seventh man in the life of the woman at the well? Just, it was, I told them, I have no closing. The closing is, go be a woman <laughs> that, that loves Jesus and that, you know, that walks with him and just does all the things and just loves him and carries his spirit into the whole world around us because y'all, the world, listen, because San Francisco last week made their woman of the year a man. So it's weird. It's weird circus, weird times out there. Like, woo, weird times. So we got to stand. We got to stand in our place, right? So that's all I have to say. And I hope y'all enjoy your lunch wherever you're eating it today because my mind's too blown to do anything else other than just eat something and pray. That's all we're going to do today. Because it was so good. It was so good, Michelle. Thank you for that. That was like, that was powerful, powerful.
Let me just, um, if you want to go a little bit deeper in this subject, I got some reference points from Bill Johnson, some reference points from my very close friend, Becky Shirey, about the Noah piece, which was years ago she told me that, and it marked me then. Um, and then also a, a lot of this information from a book 20 years old that I, I have since I was in college called 10 Lies the Church Tells Women by Lee Grady. And it's a very good book. It's Like I said, it's an old book, but it's timeless. So um, there's a lot of reference points in that. Um, and so I wanted to give them a shout out and then also give that as a resource to you. So good. You know, Lee Grady was the um, editor-in-chief of Charisma Magazine. You know, I don't know if y'all received, we had Charisma for years and years. And just really good. That's a great resource. So Jesus, thank you for loving us women. Thank you for having a plan for us. Thank you that you love our voices and we're never too much for you, that you love us. And so we just ask God that that today that we would leave here uh, sharpened and honed. Um, And I loved uh, how Michelle said it in humility, but with confidence and courage. And just help us to step into all that you've called us to be, Lord. Help us not to be those who shrink back but to those who step in to new places with you. Uh, Show us the new. Show us what that's going to look like, even as these daughters had to confront the culture they were in. Lord, it it seems scary to us sometimes to find our footing and our voices, but you're with us. And so we want to be those who um, make history. We don't want to just watch it. We want to make it. And so I ask, Lord, that you'd help all of us have our Rosa Parks in us today (laughs) as we go out of here. And, Lord, we just, um, we ask that we would carry your justice, making wrong things right everywhere we go today. Lord, I ask that you bless Michelle. I ask, Lord, that you bless everything she puts her hands to and that you will just guard, protect her, cover her, and uh, bless her business. Lord, I pray that you will just put back into her a hundredfold what she has given out this morning. And Lord, we love you, and we thank you that you're the kindest one we know. In Jesus' name, amen.